Well, um, sometimes God has a different plan. <laughs> and uh, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that we kind of felt that he was leading us to kind of change our fall series around and, and uh, swap that out and talk more about the cross of Jesus, and we've been doing that. And then uh, yesterday, our, some of our elders and leadership team were praying together, and we felt like um, we really ought to just change the game plan for this weekend that we had just acknowledging the level of um, turmoil and uh, upheaval and loss that's just a part of our, our body right now, our church family. And uh, so we've, we've decided to do that. Um, Friday night I was sitting at the Gahanna football game, surrounded by new lifers and next, sitting next to my wife and got a call on my cell phone and I, I anticipated it would be news um, about... Joshua Gulvis, who'd been missing for several days at that point. And I, I took the call there and uh, heard the news, and I, I thought, oh, no, no. This is not what I expected to hear. This is not the outcome that we've been praying for. This can't be. This, this cannot be. And, um, you know, it was one of those moments I felt, you felt this, the, the sensation when, when tragedy strikes close to you and, and it knocks the wind out of you, and you feel like someone's sitting on your chest, and it's hard to get a breath. You know what I'm talking about? And there's a pit in your stomach. And I'm sitting there trying to absorb this news, and uh, I thought back about 27 years to um, when I was sitting with my then-girlfriend, Shirley, in a church service in Virginia, and... Uh, about a thousand people there in this church service, and at the end of the service, they, someone went up and made an announcement, will you, will Shirley Charbonneau please come down to the front? We have an important message for you. You don't want to hear that. And so we made our way down from the balcony, and the dean of women of our university that we attended met us there, and, and she basically looked at Shirley and said, I've got some news for you. You know, brace yourself. Your father has just died in a freak accident, uh, working on a car in, in your backyard. The car fell on him and crushed him. And uh, that same feeling, you know, that chest tightening up, pit in your stomach. And I felt that again Friday night as, as I heard the news about uh, Joshua. And I'll tell you a little bit more about, you know, how that all transpired in a few moments. But tragedy is all around us, is it not? I mean, especially lately, does it seem to you like lately, everywhere you look, there's a new tragedy unfolding and being reported on? You can almost take your pick of tragedies. I was thumbing through the prayer requests from last weekend here in our church body, and the, the level of, of hurt and, um, you know, there's job loss and there's financial strain and marriages that are struggling and... Um, people losing loved ones, and all of this is going on right now in our church family. And you know, when, when we encounter tragedy in our lives, we just, you know, we want to you know, have some sort of framework or grid to think about it so that it makes some sort of sense to us, just our natural human response. And so today I want to share with you just some truths about tragedy and God and and the gospel, and we've been talking about the gospel the last several weeks, just kind of foundational bedrock truths for you to, to cherish and embrace for when you 
encounter tragedy in your life or come alongside someone who is struggling with that. You know, my former pastor used to say, you know, face it, you're either in trouble right now or you've just come out of trouble or trouble's waiting for you around the next corner. (laughs) And uh, so often that is true. But I got to thinking about the gospel of Jesus and and the cross, and, and I started thinking about how, from a human perspective, how tragic an occurrence it was. I mean, the crucifixion of Jesus was a tragedy of the highest order, of the greatest magnitude. Just think about that for a moment. An innocent man was condemned to death, was sentenced to die. An innocent man. Never was there a more innocent man than Jesus Christ, yes? On one occasion, he stood before a group of people and he said, Who of you can convict me of any sin? And there was silence. Now, don't you try that at the office, you know, or at home, because you'll get some feedback. But for Jesus, no sin, innocent, condemned to die like a criminal. It was a tragedy. Think about it. A young man, 33 years old, and that seems young to me these days. A young man, cut down in the prime of life, you could say, seemingly before his mission was completed. Tragic. A mom's heart broken. Can you see Mary, the mother of Jesus, there on Calvary's Mount, watching her son? I think she knew that he was to be the the Messiah and to suffer and die, but to see it, to be there, to be a part of it, to see him taking that abuse and people mocking him and spitting on him and seeing her son, her savior son, hanging on the cross, the blood streaming down. I'm sure she thought back to when she had cradled that little child in her arms and loved him and I'm sure her heart was broken on Golgotha's hill that day. By all accounts, it was a tragedy of immense proportions. And think about this on a larger scale. What you had on the cross that day was not just a man being crucified by men, but what you had was the creator of all things being brutalized by his creation. I mean, Jesus Christ is the creator. All things were created by him, the Bible says in Colossians 1. And so the Creator came unto His creation with a wonderful offer. And John says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. They rejected Him, stapled Him literally to a piece of lumber. It almost defies imagination, the tragedy of the cross, the Creator being brutalized by His creation. And then on an even larger scale, think about the fact that on that cross that day, Holy and righteous God was bearing sin, was wearing sin, not his own sin, but ours. From a human perspective, tragic. The gospel, the cross, the crucifixion was a tragedy. And I think we should say that that all tragedy that we encounter in our lives, and some of you are going through some pretty deep stuff, should remind us of the ultimate tragedy of the Son of God being crucified on the cross. You know, our church family experienced uh, just an unspeakable tragedy this week. Maybe you've followed it in the the local news stories. Rand and Shelley Gulvis 
are members of this church and uh, usually attend this service. Pastor Brian and I have known Rand and Shelley for 20 years. They raised their family in this church. Beautiful, wonderful Christian people serving Christ for 40 years. This week, um, Rand and their 21-year-old son, Joshua, we knew him as J. Mark. And uh, J. Mark is just a dynamite young man. I remember him um, played soccer, and his team would play my son's team in soccer, and he was lightning fast. And I remember time after time, it's like, there goes J. Mark again, breaking away from the pack, scoring another goal. I mean, he was just an athletic and, and smart and godly young man, strong faith in Jesus Christ. And Rand and he went out to Colorado this past week to uh, help a Christian ministry there in a, a facilities project, a building project for that ministry on a mission. And wanted to combine that with some hiking in the, in the wilderness there and just enjoy some dad and son time together. And uh, somehow in one of their expeditions got separated from each other. And uh, Josh was nowhere to be found. And Rand did all the things that a dad would do in a, in a situation like that and waited there and, you know, all night waiting for his son to reappear and uh, rendezvous with him and it didn't happen all the next day and the next day and the next day. And, you know, all of the first responders were called in and started out with a couple of dozen, then up to 50 first responders combing the wilderness looking for Josh. And everyone knew Josh was an uh, athletic, fit young man, good head on his shoulders. He had a, a tent and a sleeping bag and some supplies. Word went out on Facebook and other, you know, through the news and other avenues, getting people all over the country praying that this young man would be found. And um, they brought in the helicopters and, you know, the dogs that, that try to pick up his scent. And then uh, late afternoon on Friday, he was found. He had taken a fall off of a 300-foot cliff, and he was found dead. And we're thinking, no way, this cannot be how this story ends. God, this is not what we prayed for. We were anticipating, you know, joyful celebrations when Josh was found, but not this. Hasn't this family endured enough tragedy already in their lives? Haven't they gone through enough hardship, Lord? We ask those questions, don't we? Why did you not prevent this? You're God. And all those questions are certainly going through the minds of many people, including the family. You know, somehow, sometimes we don't know how to respond when we try to walk alongside somebody who's going through grief or have ex has experienced something tragic like that. I think Christ in us wants to help. We want to be the the hands and the feet of Jesus. We want to come alongside people and, and be of help to them, but sometimes we don't know, you know, what to say and what to do and what not to say and how can I be of blessing to them. And we thought we'd take a few moments this weekend in our gathering here and just talk briefly about how do you come alongside and minister to someone in their, 
their time of tragedy and in the aftermath of that. And certainly the Galvis family is going to need Jesus and need us for days and weeks and months going forward as they try to process and absorb what has happened. But I've asked Pastor Brian, if you would, to come and just share some thoughts with us, with our body this weekend on how to come alongside people and really minister to them in the aftermath of tragedy. So, Pastor Brian, come on up. Yesterday I was um, sitting in a uh, class that I had already scheduled for this weekend. And so throughout the class I was getting phone calls and I apologize to the teacher wherever he may be that I was not totally paying attention to what he said, but I'm sure it was an excellent class. And, um, of course, this was on my mind. Josh and my youngest son were buddies and just uh, spent a lot of time together even this past summer. They had a uh, little group of guys that would get together and just do stuff almost, you know, three or four nights a week. And just trying to figure out, you know, like everybody, like all of us do in times of tragedy, in times of hurt, what's the, what's the why, what's going on? Um, so I was sitting in the middle of this class and sense that God said, and I, you know, he doesn't speak to me audibly, but this odd sense that said Psalm 121. Well, I couldn't even remember at the moment what Psalm 121 was, sorry. Couldn't remember what it was. Grabbed my Bible while I'm sitting there, opened up Psalm 121, and it said this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Well, I wasn't real enthralled with hills and mountains this past week, frankly. I lift up my eyes to the hills, those, that place where my hurt sits. That place where I stare into the distance and wonder what God is up to. Where does my help come from, David says? Where in the midst of all this is my help? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker and heaven of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord. So I share that with you because I think it wasn't just a word to me. That as we look to the hills, to the, the, mo- the points of our tragedy and our questions and our hurt and our struggles and our sufferings, that our help comes from the Lord. And today, our desire is not to diminish other levels of tragedy and hurt because they are all around us, as Pastor Steve said. What we feel that God is doing is is telling us as a church and as a community that he has something for all of us today. All of us in the midst of wherever we are or in past hurts that, are, that we're still struggling through. So let me give you just a couple of thoughts about how we can be there for one another. And really the first thought is, is that responding to people in the aftermath of tragedy is not for professional Christians. In other words, it's not for your pastoral staff alone. It's for, it's for a body. And I want to empower all of us today that we can step into each other's lives and minister that often the person who is least effective is the professional Christian. It is you who is, is, is close in relationship with someone that ministers best. So a couple thoughts. First, keep praying for them. Don't stop. Don't stop. 
If someone's in the midst of a tragedy, don't stop praying. Often we as Christians say, well, I prayed once, that ought to do it. Dealing with tragedy and hurt is a process, and we can help one another through it by praying for one another and not stopping, not becoming weary. In Luke, James, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, keep praying. Don't, don't grow weary in this. You've got to keep praying. I'd also say to, that we need to be with those who are hurting. Be with them. It's very easy to, to back off maybe and feel that people need their space and that we would be in the way. And I would encourage you to be with people to the extent that you're a blessing, to the extent that you're a blessing into the situation. Just think about Job's friends. They probably stayed a little too long. So be with, let's be with one another as blessings. Another point would be to, don't, it, this isn't the time to offer advice unless you're asked. Often we think that in those moments of silence we need to fill the space by talking. And our talking can get us in trouble, can it? And with, then we begin just offering advice that isn't needed at the moment. And so my advice to all of us would be stop talking. Let's just stop talking. Let's fill the space with ourself, with, uh, with our presence there. Be there. Let's be there as needed just to sit. Wednesday night when we first got word, there was a group sitting at the house, and there were mo- long moments of just silence. Because we all knew what was going on and there, was, you didn't, there wasn't anything that needed to be said and then we would kind of break into prayer and we would, you know, little th- different things were happening but sometimes it was just being silent. Also, refrain from correcting each other's theology in the midst of tragedy. When we are overwhelmed with grief, we question God. David questioned God. It wasn't bad theology. It was a part of his grief. We believe that God has everything in control. We believe that, that God is bigger than tragedy. We believe that God doesn't waste a hurt. We, all those things, they're true. But it isn't time for theology lessons. It's a time to let one another ask questions out loud, to express ourselves, to cry together. Also, don't feel like you have to fix fix either the situation or the, the person or even identify with them, even if you can. Even if you can. Often times of grief are not the time to say, well, this happened to me too. Because what happens is then the emphasis shifts to us and not to the need of the person who's in sorrow. You know, if you're really a friend then you're going to be there for many days and weeks and years to come and there will be more than enough time to share and to talk about the commonality of your hurt. In these situations, it's all about the person and God, not you and not me. See, this is a very Western view of our place in tragedy. We want to fix it. And we want to fix it quickly. And 
we get concerned if, if people cry too much. We want to stop them. Why? Because we're getting uncomfortable with that. And we want to fix the tragedy, and we want to give three easy steps to getting over whatever it may be. Those of you who have suffered job losses this past year, the last thing you need is people to give you the three easy steps on, well, this is what you should be doing. For those of you who have lost loved ones, you know that you get it. You know what's going on. You don't need three easy steps to getting through your grief. It's not about us. It's God's area. Pray that the Holy Spirit will set in and begin to speak healing and comfort to families and to individuals and to your friends. The next thing I'd advise you to do is to listen. And when you're done listening, listen. And when you feel like you've listened enough, listen. There is nothing more healing than being able to have a listening ear. That someone just cares about what you're feeling and will listen. And then support, let's support each other practically. You know, a hug goes a long way. A shoulder goes a long way. Meals and prayers and offers of help. A group of ladies went in yesterday and cleaned the entire Gulvis house so that when they came home, there wouldn't be anything to worry about. Stocked it with, made sure it was stocked with food and ready to go. That's just a practical way. And you know, they won't ever know who those ladies were. Here's the deal. It is true that God receives glory from tragedy. All of our theology is true. He's God. But there's an important piece, an important thing that God wants to say to those in tragedy, to those of you who are hurting. And he says it to you today. He says it to Rand and Shelley and the family as they gather with family today. He wants to say, I love you. You see, God just wants to wrap his arms around those of us hurting and remind us that he loves us. So I'd call on us as a church in times of tragedy and hurt to just be the hands and the feet of Jesus' love. And then lastly, I'd encourage you, and did I say pray? Not just pray for, but pray with those who are hurting. And often we don't do this because we don't know what to pray. Let me give you an idea. How about God? We need you. Holy Spirit, come. Just pour out more of yourself on this individual and this family and this situation. The best thing to pray is for a connection between the person and God. And we stand in the gap and then back off and get out of the way. I've heard it put this way. It's almost as though we have two extension cords and they're being stretched and we hold them together of God and that person. And we create a connection and we stand in the gap and we pray with them. Learn to be quiet and wait on God to minister because he is really good at it. So I hope you, we will all see ourselves as empowered to minister into one another's lives, to not back off from the hurt of others and the hurt of our friends, but to step in.
to just be there, to listen, to be quiet, to pray for God's power and his presence. So we want to do this this morning. So I'm going to ask two groups of people to respond. And some of you are in the midst of a tragedy or are still in the midst of the consequences of a tragedy in the past, of a hurt. Maybe there's stuff going on right now. Maybe this is something, stuff happened years ago and it is just not resolved. It still hurts. We're going to ask you to come to these crosses this morning for prayer. And we're going to gather around as a, as a community and a body and ask people to come pray for you and with you. Not churchy prayers reminding us of our theology, but just that God would come. And that the Holy Spirit would set in on the situation. And then I'm going to ask for maybe just five or six folks to come and just stand here in front of this, these steps and we want to pray for Rand and Shelley this morning. They are grieving as a family privately today, but we want to pray for them, and I want to ask you to become the physical stand-ins for them, a representation of them here. We're not going to play music. We're going to pray. We're not going to create a moment. We're going to pray. So let's all stand to make it a little easier for people to move. And if tragedy and hurt and questioning is where you are today, I'm going to ask that you come to these crosses and either kneel or stand there and then wait there as we get some people to come pray for you. And those of you who'd like to kind of stand in for Rand and Shelley and their family, I'm going to ask you to come and stand here. Don't leave this place without being prayed for. Don't let tragedy overtake you. Don't let hurt overtake you this morning. Come and get prayer. We're not going to play music, so you're going to have to come during the quiet. But we want you to come. Every celebration, folks have come to be prayed for. And I know you're out there. We read your prayer requests. And as these folks gather at these crosses, I'm going to ask some prayer partners and small group leaders, you see how many folks you need to pray for. Make your way up here. We want everyone being prayed for. Find out what you're praying for. Find out what the hurt is, what the tragedy is, what the situation is. Let's gather around these folks in need. Some of you may want to come and just lay hands on these people that are standing in for the Gulvises this morning. And pray for them. If you've come for prayer and there's nobody yet touching you, raise your hand so people can find you. We mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. Just pray for the Holy Spirit to come in this moment. Pray for God's presence to set in. Just cry out to God, God, we need you. We need you desperately. Pray for God's healing and his peace. Just an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work in lives. You still need to come. Don't let yourself get out of this building today without getting a touch from God.
God, would you work? Would you touch lives? God, start healing the hurt. God, in the lives of people gathered around these crosses, God, would you be powerful right in this moment? God, may they sense your spirit in a way maybe they never have. May the hand that's touching them, may they realize that that is the hand of God who loves them. And God, just pour out your love on them. God, they need you desperately. God, would your Holy Spirit come and work and bring peace and comfort. God, give them the ability to, to live without the answers. God, for those folks who are here for the Gulvis family, God, may you reach out from this place into that place where Rand and Shelley and the family have gathered this morning. And God, may they sense your presence. God, as they cry out to you with the hardest questions that we know as humans, the whys, God, may they know that you are listening to those questions and that you care about them. God, may your Holy Spirit pour out on them in a way that is beyond our comprehension. God, we need more of you. We need to... You give us all there is to know of you, and yet, God, we need to sense that and... God, give us all these who are being prayed for this morning a a greater sense of your presence and your power in our situation. God, may the tears that flow right now, may each person, each of these realize that these are tears you care about. God, may we live in the, the truth of our trust in you, of our faith in you. God, we thank you that you're a God who we can go to for comfort and who, as a father, wraps your arms around us and loves us and pulls us up into your lap and cares for us. God, you just want to tell all these people that you love them, that you know what's going on and you love them. God, continue to minister. Continue to cause us to be a community and a church and a body that care for one another in the midst of deepest, the deepest hurts of life. May we be your hands and feet of love in each other's lives. In Christ's name. Oh, we want to be a brother's keeper church, amen? A sister's keeper church. Just a couple more thoughts for you before we um, partake of the Lord's table again this morning and remember in depth the, the tragedy of the cross. I just I got to thinking about this and just thinking about the crucifixion of Jesus, that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings hope in the midst of our tragedy, doesn't it? I mean, it does. 
shows us that God is big enough to take the ugliest of situations and move and bring something out of it that is, that is good and beautiful, even when we can't see it. You know, imagine if you'd been there that day on Golgotha's hill and watched the crucifixion of Jesus. It, it would have looked, it would have appeared as if Satan had won, as if he was the conqueror and Jesus was the defeated one. It, it certainly looked, from all appearances, that God had totally lost control of things. It looked like evil had prevailed over good. It looked like there was no justice in the world. But ironically and amazingly, God brought life out of death, didn't he? The death of one would result in life for many, and triumph was hidden inside that tragedy. And that was God's plan, and that was God's purpose. And I've learned this. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. God does not do or allow anything without a purpose. And his purposes are higher than our purposes. Let's just be honest and acknowledge that. We don't always understand what his purposes are, but he always has a purpose. You know, we can pray that way. And when I try to come alongside people and pray with them in, in tragedy, I, I pray like this. I say, God, here would be our, the, our desire for this situation. Here's what we would like to see. And I think... He knows we're human. And he says, ask for things. Ask for what's on your heart. And, and I pray, God, here's what we'd like to see. This seems like what would bring you the most glory. And yet beyond that, we pray, and I pray mostly that your purposes would be accomplished here. Isn't that how Jesus prayed? In his moment of tragedy in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if there be any other way, if this cup could be removed from me, and yet, not my will. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your purposes be accomplished. Your plans be achieved. I think we need to pray that way. You know, talking about the hope of the gospel, the gospel teaches us that this life is not all there is. That there's more to this life than this life. Because we know that three days after the crucifixion of Jesus, God in his power raised Jesus from the dead, proving that he has power over the grave, that in the grave, in essence, there was a womb from which life would come forth. And I can tell you with certainty today that Joshua Galvis is with Jesus. He's with Jesus. By all accounts. By all accounts, he was a young man with great faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I love the witness Terry Mike gave on uh, the news last night. God bless you, Terry, for telling everyone that Joshua had put his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and was in heaven with Jesus. And we believe that. And so there's hope in the midst of tragedy because of the crucifix, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus made that gargantuan statement at the tomb of Lazarus with tears streaming down his face. Remember that? His friend had died and he said, listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. There is eternal life beyond the grave. There is heaven. There is existence beyond this life and the gospel teaches us that. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the gospel. 
1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. God specializes in making dead people alive. Josh is very much alive today, more alive than he's ever been. And we hope and believe in a reunion one day, don't we? For those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to see my grandparents again. Rand and Shelley will be united with their son again in heaven one day because of the hope of the gospel. And that's why the psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, our hope and prayer is always that when tragedy strikes, that God will work, manifest himself, make his power known, bring glory to Jesus and bring triumph out of tragedy, that he will move and that we will cooperate with his move. Here's the question. Here's the question. I've been wrestling with this for several days now. Would you still deem God worthy enough of your worship if all of his gifts and all of his blessings were removed from your life? That's the question, isn't it? Isn't that the story of Job? Isn't that why the book of Job is in the Bible? Who had the most disastrous day that anybody could ever have in his life and was unaware of what was going on behind the curtain, behind the scenes where God was demonstrating to Satan that there is someone on the earth who will worship me apart from my gifts, apart from my blessings in his life. I am that worthy of worship. And Job, sitting in the rubble, scraping the boils on his arms with broken pieces of pottery, said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I will worship God. He's worthy beyond his gifts, beyond his blessings. He's worthy of my worship just because of who he is. And we're at the airport last night when Rand and Shelley got off the plane and we just met there in the airport and just hugged for probably five or ten minutes, just hugged and cried and hugged. And Shelley was saying, I want Jesus to get glory out of this. I do. I know that's his purpose. And, and I'm not there yet. And I want to be there. And I said, I'm not there yet either. <laughs> I'm not there yet either. And I want to be there. And so God, get us there. Amen? God, get us there. Get us there. Will you praise him through the pain? That's the question. Will we praise him through the pain? And all of it because of the gospel and specifically the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and Take a few moments to focus once again on the cross of Jesus. Begin to prepare your heart, if you would, to partake of the Lord's table in just a few moments. And our men are going to come with the elements. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in his blood, as Romans says, and are one of his, then as the tray is passed, you can take the little wafer there that represents the broken body of Jesus. And you can take the cup that represents his blood and just hold it for a few moments. We're going to sing an old hymn, (laughs) the old rugged cross. During those moments, I want you to just fix your mind's eye on the blessed Son of God who endured the ultimate tragedy for you and for me.